the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is okay. This is going to be a weird one. And I think I have, uh, I think I have an interesting way for us to begin today's show. Hi everyone. I'm Ben. Hey Ben. Uh, and everyone I'm Noel and I'm, I cannot wait to hear what you've got <laughs> up your sleeve. Well, let's see. Let's see if this impresses you. Super producer Casey Pegram. Can I just point out real quick that we're in a different studio today and we keep banging our knees on the, on the, the table. Yeah. It's just a thing I don't that's know happening. how other people do this. We are so spoiled because we, endeavor to book uh, a lot of our time in the newer studio mm. and this i like it it's smaller it's, it's, it's got a, a cozy little closet like little closet it's got a cozy vibe because we have this paper lamp uh-huh. uh, on the table you know yeah. it's, it's a little ambiance yeah but it's it's the trade-off of the ambiance to the knee banging not not worth it but ben hit us with your, yeah. your fascinating intro check this out i I don't know if fascinating, but it's, it's weird to me. So you remember Terrence Howard, the actor uh, who has played a number of commended roles, Empire, Hustle and Flow, mm-hmm. and so on. Sure. Yeah. He has invented a philosophy or science uh, that help, that he believes explains the universe and fundamentally changes the way that we understand reality. Terrence Howard did this? Yeah, he's called Terriology. Wow. And that, okay. Yeah, this uh, is a true story. This is great, Ben. I, I, I've got to, I've got to send you this. So Terrence Howard, again, lauded actor, believes that he has created a secret system called Terryology, inspired by his realization in his mind that one times one equals two instead of one times one equaling 
want. And you can read explanations of this. He's had uh, an interview with Rolling Stone wherein he talked about this and says that lately he's been spending up to 17 hours a day working on this system of logic, which is oddly enough what he calls it. And he believes that his discovery, which is what he calls it, will change the way that mathematics is taught for generations to come. And that were Pythagoras around to see this discovery, he would lose his mind. Yeah, he says this is the last century that our children will have to be taught that one times one is one. <laughs> Finally, for the first time ever, you heard Terrence it. Howard has, has, has solved it. Man, Ben, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't a fan of the subject of today's episode, uh, Mr. Alfred Lawson. Yes. Oh, boy. That's that's what I, I so I was looking up other luminaries. Right. And I was, I was trying to find people who had insisted on creating their own understanding of the world or their own, I guess we'll call it philosophical entrepreneurship. I don't know. That's, that's Will, Will Smith's kids did it. That's true. <laughs> that is true. No, they did. Alfred Lawson perhaps is an inspiration to some of these people in the more modern age. He was born way back in 1869 on March 24th, and he's a man of many interests. You know what I mean? Love him or hate him, he's definitely a Renaissance dude. Oh, he did some stuff. Yeah, yeah. He started off um, as uh, one of the first professional baseball players when that was very, very, very much in its early days. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe he played for the Boston Bean Eaters. Yes. Did I make that up? No, you're correct. And I think that that actual team went on to become the Atlanta Braves in in some form or fashion. Yes, they did. You're absolutely right. and, And by all accounts, Lawson wasn't particularly great, at baseball, um, but somehow maybe in those early days you didn't have to be because it was so new. Not quite sure how he he inched his way into that world, but apparently it turned him off because there was too much tobacco, alcohol, and uh, just you know womanizing. He he was a little bit more of a measured kind of intellectual type, and he didn't like uh, you know consorting with all these ruffians. Yeah, it was immoral to him. Uh, his minor league career, I think went from 1888 to around 1907. Uh, And he was playing in the minor leagues. He also played for the Pittsburgh Alleghenies. And he went on after that career to start his own baseball league. It had a pretty pretty clunky name um, that we learned from an article from our buddies at Mental Floss, mm-hmm. uh, 11 notes on Alfred W. Lawson, founder of the weirdest university ever, which, mind you, we're going to get to. <laughs> but yeah, he founded this league called the Union Leagues of Professional Base Space Ball Clubs of America. Mm-hmm. So at this point, baseball wasn't even a single word yet. It was the brave new world of this, uh, this, this crazy sport. Imagine a ball and also a, a base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the the combination of the two. What should we call it? Um, He moved on pretty Mm -hmm. quickly after that, did not work out. Mm -hmm. Um, He then decided he wanted to be a part of what he saw as a pretty important um, technological movement uh, innovation, which was aviation. It is true. He was inspired. This comes from Mental Floss article, but also from a uh, couple of excellent documentaries we saw. He was inspired by the story of the Wright brothers. He recognized, to his credit, he recognized the profound change 
that aviation would mean for human civilization at large, and he wanted to be part of it. More and more, as we explore this guy's life, we'll see one phrase that I think applies to him directly, and that is early adopter. He had no experience in publishing, he had no experience in aviation, so he decided to publish a magazine about aviation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, he, but it was all based on just like his gut, his gut mm-hmm. instinct that this was going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he even had notions of a future um, society where everyone lived on uh, aircraft of some kind. Right, as superior people. <laughs> oh, I feel like we have to hold on to that one just oh, we for do. a second. We do. We do. Let's, 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 let's get there, though. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we're going to earn this one, folks. So <laughs> Lawson starts an aviation magazine. He actually starts two. Uh, one is called Fly, and one is called Aircraft. And when he starts these, very few people have actually flown. Like, you could count them on one hand. And these weren't meant to be, like, trade papers because there really was no industry to right. speak of at this point. It was more for, like, novice enthusiasts that might want to find out more about this uh, this new, you know, brave mm-hmm. new world of, of flight, right? It was almost like science fiction or a cutting-edge tech magazine. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Wired, which made a really great article about this. Uh, actually, Matt Simon of Wired mm-hmm. called Fantastically Wrong. I'm not going to give you the whole subtitle because it might uh, spoil a little bit of where we're heading. But um, this is a story of innovation. Yeah. This guy is very much an early adopter, like you said. Um, but it all kind of goes off the rails pretty quickly. But before that happens, mm-hmm. he does a little thing uh, where he kind of invents basically the modern passenger plane. Yeah, yeah. He invented the airliner, or to be more specific, the idea of it. He also did not have technical knowledge, so he thought uh, he thought planes are amazing. What's the next step? Let's make them like buses for the sky. Let me hire some people who can build this in a way that will actually work. We should also say one thing this guy never suffered from was a lack of confidence. One of my favorite quotes from him comes from uh, his own description of his of his birth. You saw that, right? Where, oh, yeah. The, where it, he describes his birth in 1869 as, quote, the most momentous occurrence since the birth of mankind. And he, he is able to apply this confidence uh, in a contagious way. People buy into his idea. He convinced these designers and these engineers to build this aircraft, and it actually works. Lo and behold, in Milwaukee in 1920, he unveils the airliner to the world. At this time, it's the largest non-military plane in the entirety of the U.S., and it seats about 16 to 26 people, depending on how you position the seats. And he launches Lawson Airlines. Yeah, and there was a European company that successfully flew what you could kind of lump into this as as an airliner, but I think it only held four, which to me just sounds more like a a plane, like Mm -hmm. a small plane, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I guess typically in those days a plane would hold two, so it was just you 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 had two more passengers, not really a commercially, you know, uh, lucrative proposition there. Yeah. And for a time, Lawson Airlines was doing okay for a short time because they were bringing newer and uh, more impressive innovations to this concept of commercial flight, which, folks, we cannot emphasize enough. We cannot exaggerate this enough. Commercial flight is a brand new idea. It's wild. 
It's like if somebody said, let's build pet shops on the moon, you know, so that moon dogs and cats can have their supplies of toys. People really didn't know whether this would work. And Lawson, despite premiering this, what, what I think, Noel, you and I would both agree is the first real airliner, Lawson becomes a cautionary tale in 1921. Yeah, but just before that, in yeah. 1919, he did actually create a an airliner that could seat 18 people, like we said, and had a system in place mm-hmm. um, where he could uh, successfully fly people from New York to San Francisco in, I believe, 36 hours. He was also getting a uh, some lucrative contracts from the government. He was in the running, rather. Uh, he was the clear front runner to get some postal delivery contracts. So things are going well, as we said. But what happens in 1921? Well, um, a, a problem that that he had was he instead of making more of the I learned this from a documentary called Man Life, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, really, really great. I recommend it. it's on Amazon. You can stream that. Uh, and it's about it's about Lawson and his life and his legacy, but also like his like kind of lone follower that uh, still, right. you know, in Merle the film. Hayden. Merle Hayden. It's really, really kind of touching, uh, beautiful film. Very sad. Very sad, but also fascinating. Um, and in it, the filmmaker makes a point that, or one of the historians of the interview, that uh, he should have just built more of the one that seated 18 right. or like improved upon that but instead he kept wanting to go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and eventually yeah in 1921 he made one that was i think supposed to seat like 100 and it uh it did it crashed and burned it was it was you know too um unwieldy and it just didn't work and his backers were like okay we're done because they were already kind of like mm-hmm. he had been taking too long uh to come out with this new aircraft and they were losing confidence in him and this was it this was they were done it kept becoming more extravagant so this was the lawson l4 it was the last in his series of airliners that he had designed and built it was completed in 1920 but when it flew it crashed on its initial takeoff and there's a similar risk whenever we're talking about transit technology to put on my car stuff hat for a second we're in a similar situation with autonomous vehicles right now If there is a particularly tragic accident or event that occurs with an autonomous vehicle, it may well change the laws and we might not be able to have them. It is a very sensitive time in technological history. However, this guy is nothing if not determined and tenacious. So when he has these government contracts and despite the L4 crashing, he says he's going to keep carrying on. But unfortunately, in 1920, there was a recession, so he could not secure the cash reserves he needed for those U.S. contracts. And despite some of his commercial failures, he was widely considered to be one of the leading thinkers in the world of commercial aviation. Yeah, he actually won the Winged America Award and um, a magazine called Scientific Age in 1927, called him the world's leading passenger airplane builder. And this is coming from a great article in onmilwaukee.com. We should also mention there's a strong Wisconsin connection here because his airline was actually headquartered in Milwaukee and he had designs to turn this city into like the Detroit of the aeronautics industry. He wanted Milwaukee to be the aviation as Detroit once was for automobiles. And when the company collapses... Lawson's soldiers on, and he shifts his area of focus 
At first, he starts promoting various health practices that he had always himself engaged in, such as vegetarianism and uh, abstaining from tobacco and alcohol and so on. He also, around this time, claimed that he had discovered a surefire way for people to live to the age of 200, which, as far as we know, no one has ever done. And he starts rethinking a childhood experiment, or I I guess a better way to say it is a childhood moment. Yeah, an observation. An observation, perfect, that stayed with him into his adulthood, and he contemplates it in increasingly intense ways. And the observation is this. As a child, he sees dust in the air, and he realizes that he can move the dust toward him by sucking in air and move it away from him by expelling air. Suction and pressure. That's right, Ben. Suction and pressure. Uh, We're just going to leave that there for right now, but we will return. Mark my words. Yes. But first, we have to go back to the time period. You see, the recession in the U.S. that occurred in 1920s was seen as a, a correction of market forces. Unfortunately, it turns out that this correction was either wrong or not enough to repair the situation because then we lead into 1929, a very bleak period in U.S. history. Yeah, the aforementioned Great Depression, the the big one where, you know, so many Americans lost their jobs and couldn't afford to feed their families. And I think there was just a real need, um, a desperation to find answers and to find some kind of relief. Uh, And uh, one source of that could be in, say, some kind of ideology that, uh, you know, is pushed forward by a certain uh, eccentric former aviation entrepreneur. Award-winning, Noel, Mm -hmm. (laughs) aviation entrepreneur. Yeah, he had his bona fides. And he developed his own philosophy that originally started as an economic theory, just a straight economic theory. And what he told uh, larger and larger crowds at various conferences, functions, and rallies was that the Great Depression had a single discernible cause. And this single discernible cause was the role of international financiers, banks, essentially, privately owned banks. And he said that they were creating the economic crisis uh, which had engulfed the U.S. and the world by this point. Uh, And he said that these banks are the oppressors of the working force. They're the oppressors of the capital in a country's economy. And that there was, thank God, a way that he had come up with to fix it, to get rid of money and replace it with something else called direct credit. Yeah, direct credit. Um, And it's... (laughs) It's not entirely clear uh, what he meant by that based on the things that I've read. Like, is it – I think it's sort of like the idea that money only has value based on the goods and services themselves and like and – the, and, the, and the idea that you could get a loan directly from the government or with the government acting as like a steward mm-hmm. of the loan but that he wanted to abolish interest because in his mind, interest – we've talked about this before on other yeah. shows, the idea that it was very unpopular and considered usurist, you mm-hmm. know, like with uh, the Cock Lane ghost story or whatever. Right, And, yeah. you know, there's a little truth to that. It's interesting, the idea of, you know, selling people money. Uh, it's 
it's it's a little bit of a of a weird one, but we've sure. kind of come to accept it, and it's like sort of the basis of our economy. It's so weird how quickly things become normal. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. His idea to replace money in the economic system uh, was summed up by the issuance of direct credit. Direct credit for everybody was one of the slogans that caught on with the direct credit society. And Noel, uh, you you nailed it. I was looking for the primary differences, and there are three differences that I could find between direct credit and the economic system we have today. The first, the most important, is the abolition of interest. Clear. And in other societies, interest in the way we understand it isn't really a thing either, uh, especially in some Muslim countries. So it's possible to have an alternative system he was not speaking of religion at this point. Very important to say. So those three differences, abolish interest, remove control of money from private banking systems, you know, as he saw them, and put it in the hands of the government. This is after 1913 and the establishment of the Federal Reserve System, by the way. So the third difference is more of a consequence of this. It centralizes uh, 
control of the economy. Instead of this agglomeration of different banks with different interests on multiple levels, uh, there's the single source, Uncle Sam, who's giving people interest-free money that's just called direct credit for land ownership, for goods and services, for various things. To a lot of people during the Depression, this seems like a great idea. Well, yeah, I mean, thousands of people got behind it, and he actually uh, kind of codified all this in a, I guess, I mean, it was a book, you could call it a manifesto, really. This is when he really starts getting into these kind of more high-minded philosophical ideas, because the thing about direct credits for everybody, which was the name of his book, um, is that it wasn't only about economics. Mm-hmm. It incorporated his particular flavor and understanding of physics and the way the universe works and those ideas of suction and pressure that we talked about earlier. These are key points to this direct credit idea. So not only is it some kind of, you know, treatise on how we can improve the economy and save us from, you know, the depression mm-hmm. um, and make things more fair, Built into that is kind of a philosophy of life that incorporates everything from personal health and wellness to money and equates the two, right? Right, yeah. So the book, Direct Credits for Everybody, is sort of this utopian manifesto. I think manifesto is the correct word. And it describes not only direct credits, but it describes, as you said, his other concepts. And to Lawson, these concepts are chained together. You can't understand his economic claim unless you understand his claims about physics. To Lawson, these are inseparable. And so imagine that you are a new member of the Direct Credit Society. The Depression is in full swing. You like this idea of getting the bankers out. To Lawson's defense, he was never at least as far as we could find, he was never openly like an anti-Semite. No, no, he wasn't. And there was another guy. Coughlin. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Who was much more of a big blustery speaker who kind of like had some of these same ideas because it was, you know, people were in revolt. I mean, Mm -hmm. basically they'd been screwed over by the economy and people were mad as hell, right? And so this was a popular movement or type of movement. The idea of getting rid of like the the money lenders or the – the bankers, you know, they yeah. were like the same with like our recession that we had where all of a sudden, you know, you've got these like Bear Stearns in your uh, in your Goldman Sachs, mm-hmm. you know, getting these golden parachutes and stuff. And your average working, you know, folks who lost their houses are not happy about it at all. And, yeah, we see that same pattern happening today that, that we saw back then. But this guy, Charles Coughlin or Father Coughlin, he had some of these same ideas Um, He was a Roman Catholic priest uh, from Canada, actually. I think he immigrated from Canada. Mm -hmm. But he used much more charged language that was much more on the anti-Semitic side and equating the money lenders and the idea Mm -hmm. of uh, people of the Jewish faith being the ones that directly caused the Depression. Yeah, with what we would call now a lot of dog whistles. Dog whistle stuff. Whereas Lawson was much more like he didn't necessarily blame people. He blamed the system. Right. He blamed the system. And you couldn't understand his perspective. Again, this is is something a lot of uh, self-appointed gurus do unless you read his understanding of other things. Let's let's get into his own version of physics, which he called – this is why we talked about Terrence Howard at the beginning. He called his greater understanding Lawsonomy. 
Lawsonomy, like Lawson onomy. Yeah, and a lot of this was already in that first book, um, the the direct credit for everyone. Right. Um, but he took it even further, and mm. and let's do a little reading from chapter one of Lawsonomy, volume one, um, just to give you a sense sure. of, of where we're coming from here. Chapter one, Lawsonomy. This is what Lawsonomy is, and what it isn't. Lawsonomy is the knowledge of life and everything pertaining thereto. Lawsonomy is based upon life as it is, and not upon a theory of what it ought to be. Theory, as espoused by so-called wise men or self-styled scholars, has no place in lawsonomy. Everything must be provable or reasonable, or it is not lawsonomy. Lawsonomy treats of things as they are, not as they are pretended to be. Facts, not fancies. Truth, not falsity. Knowledge, not notions, is the foundation of lawsonomy. So to me, I'm, I'm reading this as truth, good, False, right. bad. Because notice he doesn't ever actually explain that. Now, that is the introduction. He goes on for quite some time about falsity versus truth, I believe. You can, by the way, read Lasonomy for free yeah. online if you want. At Lasonomy.org. It's the yeah. whole thing, every chapter. And I'm glad, I'm glad to post it. He's a pro prolific author. Uh, he goes into his own version of physics. We mentioned suction and pressure, right? He believes that these are the two prime movers of the world, the universe, reality, and everything, and that substances are things affected by suction pressure. This includes solids, liquids, gases. Mentality mm -hmm. is also uh, susceptible to yeah, suction he's, he's pressure. Yeah, he's kind of got his own, uh, own vernacular there. And he also, his big beef with science yes. was that he doesn't believe in energy. Yes, we have the quote, there is no greater load of misconception that science has ever had to shoulder than the unprovable theory that somewhere, somehow, and in some shape there exists a substance called energy that causes movement. No such thing exists anywhere, and science should expunge the fallacy without delay. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is he refers to constantly in this in this work about how he can't stand it when things are unprovable and yet continuously puts <laughs> forth all of these absurdly unprovable and just flying in the face of much more provable scientific research. Um, yeah. So what are some of those, Ben? Some of his, I guess we'd say, lawsonomic beliefs. Well, lasonomy argues for a couple of different substances or states that do not exist in other forms of accepted science. There's something called lecether, lecether, L-E-S-E-T-H-E-R. Is that the stuff that's in space? It's, no, that's the stuff that's on the earth. It's from the sun, but it's on earth. It's, yeah. it's the stuff that the earth is made of because it's less dense than ether, which is what space is made of. Get right? it? Less ether? It's less ether, yeah. And then there's, oh, there's something interesting here. His father had attempted for some time to build a perpetual motion machine. That's right. Right? And we mentioned Which that, is what? Uh, a machine that is able to, once started, uh, function without losing energy. It's able to perform work without losing energy and without taking in new energy. Like a more extreme version of that uh, thing you'd have on your desk with the balls where they hit each other and go click, 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 click. Eventually those do run right. themselves out. So, something like that that just goes on forever. Got a it. wheel that always spins. And many, many people have claimed to invent perpetual But that's a fallacy, though. Like, machines. it's not, it's sort of like cold fusion or something, right? Right now, as far as we know, it is not possible. It violates the laws of known physics. But he has, Lawson has his own kind of perpetual motion machine. It's a state he calls 
Help me out with pronouncing this. Equaverpoise. Equaverpoise. Yeah, and so he says there are four separate forces that have to equalize in order that a formation can balance and live. And he, these, these are them in order. Uh, internal suction that draws in from without, internal pressure that pushes out from within, external suction that draws out from within, external pressure that pushes in from without. Um, and exquaverpoise is a level that's sought by substances of varying density that causes perpetual movement of matter. So that's like the stuff of the the universe, right? It's like yeah. the what causes the universe to be in harmony. Yep, suction and pressure. Don't buy all those lies about energy, folks. And as people are reading this material, encountering Lawson's beliefs and hearing him speak, most of the large crowds are people in the upper Midwest who want to hear about direct credit. When the Great Depression draws to a close, later in the 30s, a lot of these people who are part of this big direct credit society movement leave. They no longer need this alternative economic perspective, and they never really cared too much about his concepts of lossotomy and pressure and suction and lessether and all that stuff. So the crowds start to dwindle, and what he has left is a group of followers who are hook, line, and sinker into the concepts, the philosophy that he has espoused beyond just the idea of direct credit. They want to study his concepts of the brain, of the universe, the idea of the male and female dichotomy of suction and pressure, the concept of menorgs. Oh, we didn't even talk about menorgs. It's too much, man. It's too much. <laughs> Menorgs, a short for mental organizers, a portmanteau, if you will, and or a portmanteau, if you wish. No, we, we, <laughs> we, we do not wish anymore. Uh, and the mental organizers are these tiny, tiny creatures that are inside your brain, the cells of your mental system, and help your body function in a focused way help your cognition. And then there are the disorgs. They're the bad guys, the disorganizers, microscopic vermin that attempt to destroy, for some reason, the mental instruments constructed and operated by the menorgs. So his actual followers post direct credit society like this. They want to learn more, right? Yeah, they do. So yeah, he actually starts a college and he's able to purchase uh, an abandoned uh, university campus in Des Moines. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? Yeah, in Des Moines. And he... Uh... I'm sorry, Des Moines. I said Des Moines and I got roasted for that before. Let me make sure I say it right. Des Moines. So he, yeah, he buys this university and wants it to become a center of learning. The University of Lasonomy. And... His followers join him, but the rules of this university differ from those of other universities. Uh, cough, cough, hint, hint, accredited cough, cough, hint, hint, universities. Cough, cough, hint, hint, Scientology. Cough, cough. Yeah, you really, you need a cough pen? You need one of those cough buttons. You know, they have those in real, real radio setups. Yeah, we used to have a peek behind the scenes here. Casey, you remember this too. We used to have a, a sound maker. There's one, but it doesn't have any batteries, does it? No, I mean a button that you push so that it mutes your mic so that you can oh, cough. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah that's pro stuff, right? Our there. Our friends who work uh, who work for NPR, they have those. Yeah, exactly. I checked out their setup. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to use it just to feel power. Yeah. Oh, it does have batteries. That's a good one. That's a good one. And it's appropriate because Lawson thought he was dropping a bomb uh, on uh, the scientific consensus of the time. And students at the University of Lysonomy, although they were not getting an orthodox education, they were getting a rigorous one. Yeah. And the thing, too, is like he outlawed, or I don't know if that's the right word, but definitely forbade any books to be on campus that were not written by he himself. And, I mean, he kept writing these things. So right. yeah, that library probably wasn't massive, but, you know, there there was definitely enough material to go around. And a big part of, like, testing in this uh, university system yeah. was just rote memorization of Lawson's own texts. Which is terrible. You would have these different exams, and you had to recite, as you said, Noel, you had to recite from the books verbatim. And in Man Life with Merle Hayden, you can see that he actually experienced this because he is verbatim quoting from these different books. And they had to do this for a cartoonishly long amount of time. Uh, After about 10 to what, 20 years of memorization, you would have an interim exam. And then after 30 years, you have a comprehensive exam. And if you passed, if you memorized enough of this guy's work, you would receive the degree of uh, Nolegian. Yeah, I'm going to say Nolegian. Nolegian sounds classier. Yeah, but I think um, until he passed away, no one held that distinction except Lawson himself. Yeah, which is a little culty, obviously. Oh, and not to mention that this was also a communal living situation on a kind of a compound type situation. So, you know, it it definitely had that... uh, that culty vibe to it. The people of Des Moines were getting creeped out for sure. And the big catch here is that only Nologians could bestow the degree of Nologian to another person. So if Lawson's the only one who has this ability and he passes away or something, then there are technically no more people with this degree. But they, the university bends the rules a little bit to get some people appointed or to, you know, have acquired this degree. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. 
With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this time, this thing that started as an economic theory and later became a kind of philosophy is getting closer and closer to something that we might call like mysticism or spirituality, but it's also garnering attention from the federal government. That's right, because it had been around for about 10 years um, before there were there were some issues and the Senate Small Business Committee um, caught wind of the fact that they had bought these machine tools from like war surplus and they actually resold them uh, or at least a, a, a large number of them and made a, a decent amount of money doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is coming from that Wired article that we talked about earlier. And he appeared before this committee and um, tried to explain to them what lossonomy was <laughs> Which I, and the, I fact, love this. the fact that it was based on <laughs> physics and then they needed the machine to help, you know, ply their, their craft or whatever mm -hmm. or like, you know, follow their religion or their philosophy. And uh, he was very upset when they kind of, you know, didn't understand what he was getting at. And Lawson commented that this whole thing was, quote, the damnedest thing I've ever heard of in all my life. And then uh, one of the senators said, quote, I don't know whether we're talking about the same thing, but I'm inclined to agree with you. 
Yeah, they seem mutually befuddled and irritated at their inability to communicate. And there was a great Times article about it uh, called Zigzag and Swirl, which is another principle yeah. uh, loss, uh, to which Lawson adheres. And I'm sure he tried to explain that to the senators. <laughs> yeah, just talking about some zigzag and swirl. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. That's that's a very lighthearted moment because I love the idea of both of these guys ardently trying to explain this stuff. And investigations continue. But for the time being, the University of Lasonomy soldiers on. After people graduate the university, their story or their journey with Lasonomy doesn't end. They are offered an option for postgraduate work. It's called Lasonian Religion, and it is made to provide students with the highest, quote, grade of consciousness. Remember when we talked about the people who would be different and superior to us landlubbers and they would live in the sky? This is the way to become that person, according to Lawson. Yeah. And, you know, um, we, we, we shouldn't forget, too, that this was all happening while Lawson was still alive um, during kind of the rise of Nazism. And Lawson spoke out against it pretty regularly. Yeah. But because of the kind of militaristic-esque qualities of his organization, much like the kind of things we see with, like, the Sea Org in uh, Scientology, mm -hmm. right, it People, it was not a good look. People were kind of like a little bit alienated by them, you know, and, sure. and it was just kind of like a little bit weirded people out, right? Or they felt maybe it was somewhat hypocritical because these people at the time also would have been familiar with Lawson's earlier work. The Direct Credit Society was a very populist movement, you know, and they did have uniforms and dress codes, and the university was not so different. Also, Lawson was seen as somewhat of a, um, I don't want to say a Tony Stark figure, but he was an aviation expert. We didn't even talk about the circulation numbers of his paper, The Benefactor, under his time with the uh, Direct Credit Society. People were aware of who this guy is, and they saw how his positions evolved would be the nice way to say it, changed would be another way to say it over time. They saw how they evolved and changed over time increasingly his beliefs were becoming difficult to parse or obtuse such that in the modern day now casey and noel and i are not psychologists or, or therapists but in the modern day the kind of language he's using seems to be increasingly what we would call like word salad or disassociative yep and there's a marked acceleration in this tendency as he ages. Um, there are hints of this all along in his concepts with the Direct Credit Society and the Layer Lasonomy, but as he goes into out and out religion, as it goes from an economic theory to a philosophy to a religion, he's, all the stops are gone. He's just saying insane stuff. Yeah, like what? What, 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 do we, what do we got? Should we laundry list a few? We can laundry list a few. Yeah, yeah. You want to round robin it? Let's do it. Okay. 
God wanted a supervising agent to manage the earth and all that it contains therein, and so he directed the Menorgs, remember them, to design and build a superconscious being upon humane principles that would be capable of executing such orders and performing such duties as he would from time to time prescribe. It was a very crude thing that the Menorgs first produced, which was designated as man, but they continued to improve him with the view of constantly increasing his intelligence and enlarging his consciousness until eventually he will become acceptable in the sight of God. I like how I even heard you get bored with reading that. Right. <laughs> like, right. It's just like, what? 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 Well, I'm, I, I tone it down there toward the end because I feel like that's how a lot of people took it when they were reading something that ostensibly was going to be about physics or science or economic theory. Well, that's the thing. Like, all of his stuff is this weird garbled <sighs> mishmash of different ideas with no real substance there and nothing that's – it's all just like a kind of agglomeration of, like, pseudoscientific ideas and, and kind of, like, bluster. And, hey, if there's any Lawsonians out there that are offended by this, I, I'm more than happy to hear your, your side um, of, right. of the – you know. Uh, but I don't know that there are any that remain because that film we talked about, um, Man Life, which, by the way, was the name of a magazine. Yeah. that uh, that Lawson published. Not man's life, which Man is a life. different one. Yeah. One word. Um, the guy that was the subject of that film uh, is like 93 years old during the making of the mm. film, and he kind of like sticks around uh, as an archivist, and he goes to this like air shows um, in Oshkosh, mm. uh, Wisconsin, where he tries to recruit young people into the Lawsonian faith uh, okay. with very little success, it seems like. But his story is, is really beautiful, and he's, uh, you know, he, he does live to be, you know, close to 100, and he follows all of the tenets of Lawsonianism. And, and he eats raw food and, you know, yeah. he's got like he really, you know, lives his life by this code, which is really interesting to see. Um, but there, there's there's a little bit more of the story. Lawson's legal troubles do not end at the whole affair with the, you know, the machines or whatever. Right. Um, he actually they get their nonprofit status revoked. And I think he owes in the neighborhood of a decade's worth of back taxes because it was retroactive. Right. Right. So that uh, pretty much bankrupted the organization. They had to sell off the university campus they had mm -hmm. and they moved to another kind of farm type campus in uh where was it ben it was somewhere in, in minnesota in racine county right racine county which is on interstate 94 a very very well-traveled uh, stretch of interstate between um like chicago and what, milwaukee milwaukee yeah, yeah. You, you can read uh you can read a cool article about it in, on milwaukee.com which is where we by uh by greg hoffman which is where we found uh the description of the university after it moved. And uh, one of the features of one of those buildings was uh, a, a big gray barn that says study natural law on the outside of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe the campus is still there today. You can, there's a video on this Wired article where a guy just kind of wanders around and it looks like everything's locked. And I think it's owned by a trust that still is tied to the idea of, of Lawsonians, but um, yeah. it, yeah, and he himself, uh, Lawson, passed away two years after they got this um, new campus and after he kind of was shamed, you know, for 
being a bit of a tax fraud. Um, mm. And, you know, over the, after his after he passed, the numbers just dwindled. They were never like that massive to begin with. The direct credit movement was much more successful than the Lawsonian movement. Absolutely. Um, because of its tie to the Great Depression. Uh, and then, you know, it sort of dwindled from thousands of members to maybe just a, a couple hundred. And then, you know. Eventually, eventually to Merle. To Merle. Right. Now, there are some other people involved. We'll, we'll get to them in just a second. But yes, it is true. Alfred Lawson died on November 29th, 1954, meaning that for one reason or another, he did die before he was 200 years old. Um, and you're right that it did quickly diminish the, the following that was already much smaller than direct credit. However, there are reports of one last Lawsonomic institution out in Kansas. Did you read about no, this? No, I did not. So in the Journal Times, there is a report from 2001 of a church of Lasonomy. And this church still remains there in Kansas, in Mount Pleasant. The officiator and uh, one of the Lasonians who still live in the area say that they find this uh, personally meaningful. It has five buildings, including a church, a farmhouse, and a dormitory, but only the two-story dormitory is used today. Only one guy lives on campus. He's the caretaker. His name's Gary Turner. All these people are are pretty elderly at this point. And they have a, a dilapidated headquarters with tons of books and collections of literature. And one of the big things is that people... The remaining Lasonians want younger people to join the movement of religion, but just like Merle Hayden, they are not reaching uh, many people. They're not convincing anyone. So if this religion dies, and I tried to find more about this, if this religion does die, then unless some company buys the property, it is going to be the property of Kansas. The very last update I found was also by the Journal Times. Ricardo Torres writes that Foxconn just bought an unusual piece of Wisconsin history. So as far as we could see, the company Foxconn Technology Group bought the land that Mount Pleasant owned for over $900,000. So these people may be aging, the group may be aging, but financially they're not hurting anymore. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't hear about that. That's cool. So we don't know what happens. The story continues, maybe. This is a weird one, man. And this yeah. is this is a tough one to, to get through. And there's a lot of stuff we've had to leave out. But I, I can't recommend highly enough this documentary. It's called Man Life, The Last of the Lawsonians. You can also find some cool audio stuff on YouTube about this. But again, I'll, I'll post this on our page, Ridiculous Historians. You can read these books, a lot of them in full online. As far as I could find, most of them are out of print in a physical edition, so it might be tougher to get there. But you can read PDFs, and I don't know, I encourage you to check it out. And if you, if you have an understanding of what exactly they're talking about, especially when it gets to physics and the nature of interaction of elements and substances, feel free to write us an email and break it down, because I'm going to be honest. I, I read it. I don't get it. I don't, I don't quite understand. No. No, it's, 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 it's a tough one. It's a bit of a, it's a bit hard to swallow. It's a bit of teriology precursor. Uh, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should make up our, 
you, me, and everybody listening, maybe we should make up our own personal philosophies. Why not? And I mean, name them after themselves. Just you know? call it, you know, a code that you live by yourself. We don't have to make other people do it. Yeah, that's the thing that seems a little bit imperialistic about it. You know what I mean? Right. And also, I believe that people should have self-confidence, but it feels weird to name things like that after yourself. You know what I mean? Oh, I do know what you mean. And, and I do want to end with, uh, with one last quote from Lawson himself that sums this whole thing up. Go for it. To try to write a sketch of the life and works of Alfred W. Lawson in a few pages is like trying to restrict space itself. Oh, my God. We didn't even talk about how he writes in third person under assumed names. Yeah. Psy Q fonts. <laughs> all right. Well, we're getting, maybe we'll have to revisit this one. Uh, this all, yeah, I had a good time. I did, too. This also reminds me a little bit of Time Cube, of a less angry version of Time Cube. You know what that is, right? I do not. Are you serious, man? Okay. Time Cube. This, I know this we're being such a one more thing. Is a guy who believes that the Earth encounters... You will hear me turning my computer around to show this to Noel, who believes that the Earth encounters four simultaneous days and that it's moving through a cube of space and time. And his entire website is just this. I can post it. He made an appearance at Georgia Tech, one of our local learning centers a while back, and I felt really bad. I think he's... Unwell? He has a very unique and distinct understanding of the nature of reality. And there are more and more people like this. You know, we sometimes we call them eccentric. Sometimes we call them visionaries. Don't know what the difference is, uh, but we would like to hear from you. Thank you so much for checking out the show. Thanks to Casey Pegram, uh, our super producer. And Noel, thanks to you. You're welcome, Ben. Thanks also to Alex Williams, who composed our theme, and to our amazing researcher, Eves Jeffcoats, who worked on this episode. Be sure to join us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, you can see all sorts of shenaniganry there. And we cannot highly enough recommend our community page, Ridiculous Historians. If you want to read about uh, sodomy, then I've got you. I'll post up some PDFs on the page, and I would love to hear what you think. If, if this somehow makes sense to someone, let us know, because we were, we were adrift in some very high-minded concepts today, but luckily, we made it back to Earth, and that is the strange story of the inventor of the airline. See you next time, folks. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 